I'm Murphy, John Murphy. And I'm Humes, Christian Humes. And I'm Murphy, Ryan Murphy. And you're listening to Watch World. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Watch World. We are continuing our Bond extravaganza, and we have a new agent with us in the field. To join us is podcast. Sorry, scratch that. Joining us is uh, a new agent in the field. He's a podcaster and my childhood best friend who kind of introduced me to Bond in a lot of ways, uh, Mr. Ryan Murphy. Ryan, welcome. Well, thank you, John. Uh, yeah, we moved in next to you guys, I think, when I was in second grade or so. Yeah, so, I was like five or six years old, maybe six or seven, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would have been roughly 25-ish years now at this point of knowing you. Yeah. Wow. Right around this time. So, yeah, we, you know, the reason why I wanted to have Ryan on one is to promote, he has a new podcast called Murph's Movie Trivia. Uh, it's a fun little uh, podcast that you can listen to your car and you want to do, uh, you know, learn learn about some movie trivia. Why do you, you want to explain about it, a little bit about it, Ryan? Sure. Uh, so it, we're in COVID time and have some extra time on our hands. So I'm one of the many who decided to start a podcast and for my job, I drive around a lot, listening to podcasts, loving them. But a lot of them are interview style. And I got tired of listening to that for 40 hours at a time. So sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted something a little more entertaining. So my podcast, we do 10 audio clips with a category each week. And it's just a light entertainment thing to quick listen to. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Great. Yeah. And like I said, you know, we grew up together and we played a lot of th this game called GoldenEye together, yeah. which was my introduction to Bond overall. Um, so this is, uh, this is why I wanted to have you on uh, for, for the beginning, because th this Pro Brosnan era is the start, I think, for all of us. This is our our kind of first foray into James Bond. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um... For me, this is the bond that I grew up with as well, obviously. But as you mentioned before, we talked about that. I moved in next to you guys. So when growing up, my dad always had to have like the biggest, greatest thing. And so one day at Best Buy, I guess he just decided to buy the huge set collection of James Bond. And so it was two packages, one from Dr. No all the way to Diamonds Are Forever. And then the man with the gold gun to license the kill. And now because of your podcast, I actually found out why it came in two sets because of the production companies switching. Make, oh. Makes sense. Because uh, I was like, why, why doesn't they just sell it as one package? Um, and so I grew up watching them since fifth, six, or no, since five or six years old. Uh, and so they say... A family friend said to me once, like, who's your favorite Bond? And I couldn't really decide at the time. And I was, I said Pierce Bronson. And she goes, oh, well, it's usually the Bond you grow up with. And from other podcasts, I heard you guys mention Bronson. But for me, I think I would say Sean Connery since I saw him initially in the beginning. I, yeah, I think that's like, I think a lot of people, you don't, you don't get a lot of people from our generation being Connery fans. Or more fans to begin with, because it's like we didn't grow up with it. Yeah, 
I think the people who do are, I feel like, are usually doing it. They almost sound like they say it to sound smarter than other people often. <laughs> They're like, well, I like Sean Connery. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, I, I would pick Roger Moore over Sean Connery every day. What? No, that's crazy. I think oh, we, we, as, as uh, for us two that have watched Roger Moore movies now, pretty back to back, he is really charming. He is. And like for me, in my mind, I think the bonds are a lot closer than people think. And he, or Roger Moore does have that oh. nice charming effect. But to me, Sean Connery is just the epitome of the representation of Bond. That's, yeah. So that's yeah. interesting then. Do you prefer Daniel Craig over Pierce Brosnan then? Because he feels closer to Sean Connery to me than Pierce Brosnan does. Uh, I prefer Craig over Brosnan. Okay. And I, that's... That, that would make sense, which I, I will agree with what you said. I don't actually think they're that far apart. They're all like a little bit different, but they're all good, except mm-hmm. I, I don't like uh, Lazenby. I don't, I don't like I, yeah. I, I hated him. I hated it. Oh, so he he would have been a, a great like Clark Kent. Like he would have yeah. been a great Clark Kent. Like he, he, he was like built like Superman almost in that coat when he was walking around. But he did not yeah. look like James Bond or act like James Bond. He <laughs> sounded like James Bond. Yeah, he, he looked like stock James Bond, like mannequin version of him. It, yeah, it, you know, I think that, that, you know, we've discussed that movie on the episode. And, it, you know, I think it's a good movie. But, yeah, he's so wooden in that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, yeah, I, I would agree. It's, it's, he's not the best. But, also, um, give Timothy Dalton some love, man. I think, okay, uh, so I would say, like, Brosnan and Dalton are very similar. Their bonds are yes, very, very similar. I agree. Um, Definitely. It's just that Brosnan has that more that passion to mm-hmm. him. That, and he has that lower jaw that he just like unhinges. Yeah, he, he has <laughs> he likes... the he has the look and the suave of Roger Moore, which yeah. Dalton did not have. Correct. Yeah, and so, um, but like this movie is the DNA of it because of the game is so ingrained in my like psyche that rewatch every time I rewatch this movie, I think it's great. I think it is a great movie overall. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> so for me, for this movie, uh, when you asked me to be on the show. I literally forgot about this movie and it was just opening this door I haven't opened in 20 years. And it was like, oh yeah, Goldeneye. And just this wave of nostalgia like flew over me. And uh, we'll get into it here in a moment of my thoughts. But this movie gave me a revolutionary epiphany moment in my life that, I, I don't know, it's, it, it's a landmark Well, let's just get into it, I guess, because <laughs> that's, that's what the movie is about in the podcast. But... Oh, Christian, what, what, what your initial thoughts on GoldenEye before we oh. dive into? The... So I'll say I haven't seen it in a very long time. And I feel like even though the game was out, GoldenEye in the movie, I don't think I saw that till well after. Me too. Yep. Like way, way later. And then I was like, oh, yeah, wait, I don't think I've actually ever seen the movie. And then I watched the movie. And of course, all I can do is be like, oh, OK, there's uh, they don't have this scene that location's not in there and then this scene's not in the game like that's i remember a lot of that and i can't it's really hard to disassociate the game from the movie because i spent probably a thousand hours in that video game as a child but also like the the main plot of the movie like the, of the game and uh, the game and the movie are so they do actually such a good job at the game they're of actually so taking similar every scene even when scenes uh-huh. aren't quite you know the the same like you you generally have almost all of it kind of following the same path, which is like crazy. Yes. So. Yeah. I. It, it's great. I think it's really cool that 
at least yeah when watching the movie you like spatially i feel like the people who created the game like sat and watched this movie and literally built the levels around the movie and it's really cool yeah i heard that they actually like were invited to the set and would take photos of everything as they were like constructing the game so they just basically were able to kind of construct certain levels directly and that's why i think feeds into the dna of like when you're watching this movie you just you you can almost see the game in some some of these levels, like some of the. I sets. wish that documentary that's coming out on the game was out yeah. now before we recorded this. Maybe at some point we'll do a bonus episode when that releases, John. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, but yeah, so this one, you know, this one came out in 1995. You know, the last one was 1989. It had been the longest period without a Bond movie. I think, yeah, I think that has been almost the longest period. Um, Mostly, it became it had a rights issue, you know. After they were going to make a third Dalton movie in '91, but then certain lawsuits kept cr- crawling back in. They kept pushing. Dalton dropped out. Apparently, they um, were rewriting, like rewriting the movie, and then they realized that True Lies had such a similar story, so they had to change it again, like <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that helped, I think, delayed some stuff too. Um, but yeah. I, this one obviously marks the beginning of the modern Bond, I think the true modern Bond. And you can just tell with the direction, which is Martin Campbell, who also did Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. You can just tell the visual language of the movie is light years ahead of previous movies. It is, except I have one, I have one major complaint about, okay. about the movie. <laughs> it, it might be more editing than the visuals, but it's, it's just there's one scene that I'm like, Everything about this movie feels even more modern than the last, which of course it should, but it, it's it is like jumping an era. Like the Timothy Dalton movies almost feel like they jump an era, and then this one really does. Like, yeah, I'm just talking like in the fact that like in this with this movie, you get a real sense that the director knows how to understand like camera movement and yes. actually like yeah. shot but framing. But I mean, like in a modern sense too, yeah. because yeah. a lot of the things that the director here knows. Although maybe he was doing it in a way that was a lot better and more skilled than other directors and cinematographers at the time. These are also things that now we've come to expect. So you can take oh, yeah. them for granted when you see some of these shots. You know, there's such a there's such a good sense of space whenever they're filming any of these scenes. Because he does such a great job of making sure you get the wide shots, but then you're staying in close for the right parts of the action. And then the, the camera shots aren't like static. So it's really good in all of those regards. But a lot of that stuff is also just modern, you know? It's like the older movies, they're more static, they're they're wider, or when they're close, they're, like, missing a sense of space. Like, that's just kind of something that happened over time, too, when it comes to cinematography. Yeah, so, and I, yeah, no, go ahead, Ryan. Okay, so I was just going to say, I agree, uh, Christian, that I think one key thing that I think that is clear in this movie is the cinematography in the sense sense of harsh lighting. I think that was a Mm -hmm. specific choice throughout this movie. And uh, I also, I don't know Mark, uh, Martin Campbell's history, but in, in, in rewatching this, uh, I think he had to have grown up with the entire series because I think he incorporated everything that made up the Bond franchise and took it to the next level. And I think this was a very big step in the franchise, but it didn't get all the way there. But I think they finally reached it with Casino Royale. So I think in this, he takes modern steps, but then they only start to scratch at getting deeper. 
uh, which we'll get into. But yeah, yeah, there's there's clear influence from the direction of the previous Timothy Dalton movie, License to Kill, in like the I, just the way it feels, the 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 way they emote things, the way the things that are supposed to be bad actually feel dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I think I I think at this point though you do see an influence of John McTiernan on these movies where you know Die Hard comes out in 89 License to Kill was more of a Commando Cobra these other like 80s like a lot of squibs a lot of like just blood you know like blowing up people getting shot this one you can see the Die Hard effect of you know John McClane like a lot of running sliding and shooting in yes. this movie and yes. a lot of like people just getting shot, but you're not, you don't do any close ups of like, you don't see squibs in terms of body shots. You do a lot of like squib ground squibs or like, you know, spark squibs and stuff. So it's a lot of like more like gun foo, like almost like John Woo is like an influence of this era as well. Um, and also, it makes sense if you look at that and you also look at what comes out, I think a year later, or maybe it was this, I think it was a year later, it was Mission Impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're pretty close. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, you, you definitely see, especially in the beginning, I say like the opening, when they, when we start with this damn sequence, you know, before the bungee jump, just the fact that like you have a low angle kind of moving forward and like Bond mm-hmm. is running through the gate type of thing like that's such a, like a completely different introduction to this character that we've never seen before. Yeah, up until, that's definitely like, true. Up until like even, the, even the bungee jump, which is, I think a great, Probably one of the best introductions for Bond we've seen. It's kind of set, like one, one up there, I think, as far as yeah. like this whole opening. I think that's a good point, actually, to, to what Ryan just said about it's clear he grew up with him because it does feel like someone who grew up watching James Bond and, you know, not growing up because Martin Campbell was an adult, obviously, but he, he, he had watched all of them and he definitely had a, like, he cared about this character because it does kind of feel like this came from the imagination of someone who loved James Bond. And so he was making like what he saw James Bond as. And it's just like pulling everything that had come before. You're, you're definitely spot on with that. Right. I, I just, with the characters, I think he made the women up to date, stronger, like defiant and the characters more well-rounded. And, but at the same time, including the Bond tropes that come with it. So I think he just nailed it. And then, when you guys mentioned he was in Casino Royale or directed Casino Royale, I'm like, oh my gosh, that totally makes sense because I think he did similar things for that. Yeah, I mean, this I think this one and definitely Casino Royale are the two best directed films. I think in terms of as as, as competent action flicks that I think defined Goldeneye. I think did a really good job of defining the '90s for the most part, like a lot of era and like for the movies that came afterwards. And then Casino Royale set a new kind of standard for these movies in the late 2000s as well so you know martin campbell great director kind of hard to work with but he gets the job done <laughs> that's why he doesn't direct any movies because it's kind of hard to work with but uh well let's just dive into this damn you know let's, let's do the it. damn chemical sequence you know i great i think this is one of the top top sequences in any any bond movie so far so uh, I agree. It's it's a good start, but as soon as that movie started, I got an instant flashback to the video game, just going to the damn level. <laughs> yep. And I'm sure all of us at some point uh, got the all guns cheat 
And in case you guys didn't know, you could take that sniper rifle and aim it all the way across the river to shoot like one guy for no reason. <laughs> and that was like the best part of this level. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, you didn't you didn't have to do that in this movie though. It's like there was there seemed to be nobody on that dam to, to begin with. Um, it, it is interesting though that Bond's first line is before he punches a man on the toilet. You know, always an interesting way to introduce your new Bond. Um, <laughs> after the damn sequence, uh, just like Casino Royale, yeah, yeah, <laughs> in just the bathroom. like Casino Royale, <laughs> it's the first place he hits a guy. Yeah. Um, I I loved everything about this intro sequence, but really the thing that has always captivated me, and this is something I've said, and since you've listened to them, Ryan, you've heard me say it, but the anything that expands the universe of Bond always makes him feel more real. So having, oh yeah, you know, Sean Bean having travel in there agent 006 that was one of my favorite things about the goldeneye video game that i think made the story so captivating and it's same thing with this movie it's like it just makes him feel like like a more real person because he's not the only double o it actually makes him feel like a, a less of a myth and more of like a real life person agreed so i agree this is one of those elements on why it elevates the movie is because in building the world of Bond, we introduce 006, which is like the first time we actually have a line from a 00 other than 007. And I know in Living Daylights, you got pumped up just to see two other 00s, one getting cut yeah. off a rope off a cliff. And then I always liked, I think it was 009 from Octopus, who gets a knife into his back. And so I always <laughs> wanted more of the other 00s. Mm -hmm. And this movie brings it. And that's great. I, I will say, though, I, one thing I did notice with Trevelyan is, like, he's being, like, cagey as fuck in this opening scene. <laughs> with, like, the way he, like, talks to Bond, he's like, for England, James, time to save the world again. I'm like, why is he talking so creepy, man? Because like, he knows he's about to pull one over on him. I know, but, like, like, why? He's excited about it. Why blow your cover, basically, your double he, agent status? He's just <laughs> amped up. He's got his endorphins going. Yeah. Yeah, but I, did, I just like, noticed Think that about that whole sequence from his point of view, right? Like, he's got him there, and he's like, any minute now, we're going to fake my death. You have no idea. Yeah. So so about that, like, that's that was weird for me. One, so in re-watching re this, I like how he's delivering the line, half of everything is luck, the other half fate. Yeah. I think it's good timing that he says fate and then the alarm trips, which, as a kid, I'm like, okay, the alarm trips. But, like, in rewatching, it's like, no, he's tripping it right there. He's setting up yeah. the trap, and and so I was like, "Oh, that's good." But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, 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 I I I love a good. I like I like when they switch it up, and you know, Bond is betrayed. There's there's actually a mm -hmm. twist versus like the twist being whatever the villain's plan is. You know, right? Because you know, like, in previous movies, it would always be like you knew that the bad guy that Bond going after was bad. You just didn't know what he was up to. Mm -hmm. And this is a good, like what I love about this movie, it twists it in that he's going at what he thinks is a bad guy, and it is, but it ends up being his old partner. So, right. I think this was the first Bond to do that element of a twist, which, once again, is another reason why this movie elevated the, just the Bond series. Yeah. But the, only, the only time I think it ever actually ever came close out was A Living Daylights with Koskoff. You think that he's like a defector. And then he ends up, he's not, he's right. working with Necros. Okay. And so like he, but it's not as like, it's not as personal to Bond there. So this is right. the one where it's actually like personal to him because it was like a relationship that he felt that 
he may have been responsible for Trevelyan's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's the only thing closer would, like, as close would be the last movie with Felix. Yeah. But it's different because, you know, it's a different agency. It's a, They weren't, they worked together, but it wasn't quite the same as, you know, both fighting for the queen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, definitely. And then before, uh, you know, before we talk about Oromov, I love the line when he just yells it when Bond's like, save me a pint. You know, when he's like, <laughs> he's typing in the proxy of the mine thing. And it's just like, and then he realizes that Alex's not talking. So mm-hmm. what did you guys think? I love General Oromov. He is... Oh yeah. My favorite sweaty military guy. <laughs> yeah. So it's great. Oh, so what I love about him in this is that he comes off as a very strong, clear villain, a very dominant on screen. And I'll reference this as we go through it, but his character arc degrades and falls down as Alex's character rises. And so I think it's this great balance of the focus on him and as he's no longer the bad guy. It, and it goes to Alex, like he's physically distraught and sweating more. And it's just this great, smooth transition. And so I love just his character arc. And yeah, I, but in the video game, never chose him. He was born to play. Yep. I look dumb. <laughs> totally. The, he reminds me, actually, what you just said is basically what it reminds me of is Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you first meet him, like, he seems like the bad dude. And then it's like, oh, well, actually, Darth Vader is going to just tell him to shut up sometimes. And <laughs> he's going to have to listen. And But, like, it definitely, he kind of comes in with that. And he, he has, like, a bit of that. Like, he has the sunken face, too. So it's partially, like, a visual thing. But the way he shows up and says that, I was like, oh, okay, we have our we have our Tarkin here. I mean, he, he is very much um, like General Orlov in Octopussy where that kind of just psycho general character that's trying to take yeah. over the world like has his own plans and um isn't afraid of that but it it's more like that i would say than because not to get into star wars chat but like tarkin had you got the sense that tarkin had uh vader on a leash like he was he was his pet and that he was the main villain of the first movie and his death like kind of unleashes vader in something in that way so yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely true. But it, it was more of the, like, introduction to him, is what I was thinking. Like, when you first meet Tarkin. Yeah. So. Uh, one thing, I don't know if this caught you guys off as, well, for me as a kid watching this movie, is when Oromov shoots Alex, and then he's dead. As James Bond, and you're a professional, and you've killed thousands of people, wouldn't you see some kind of brain guts on the floor and think that... There should be more yeah, gruesomeness. You know, in real life, yes. I think like you can play it off as in the moment he it can't, he can't, I think he gets fired at right at that moment too by guards. So he has to like go back to cover. So you can't quite see that, block, you know, what, how he got shot in the head yeah. or whatever. So, and then Ormov's like, you idiots, you'll <laughs> blow the gas tanks, which is a great line. And then I love this moment right afterwards when he just, he squeaks the tr- the dolly thing across the room and everybody is just like holding there and they like it's a nice standoff it's a great moment i love, I love a, this that, that's a great which throughout that whole thing all i kept thinking was like man alec really is banking on being able to get out of this alive because bond <laughs> yeah. could have easily set something uh, some kind of a chain reaction off here that would have screwed everyone or like when the barrels fall as he's trying to get away yeah, barrels get like hit the nuts yeah he's like, like oh. <laughs> Just lands on him. Yeah. 
Um, and then, yeah, and then you had the whole uh, chase down with the plane thing, which was great. I love this skydiving sun. It's oh, awesome. it's so good. So, so for me, uh, this also triggered back the flashback of the runway, the video game, and how it was just, you know, free openness and could shoot endless guys. I don't know if you guys ever had the pet peeve of running to the plane and sometimes the plane would blow up from the bad guys <laughs> to try to shoot yeah. you. <laughs> and so it's like, well, I was rewatching like, oh, thank God the bad guys didn't blow up the plane on him. Yeah. Thank God they shoot so terribly. They can't hit <laughs> anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's great. I, l- I also love, just want to point out, this movie does a really good job with miniatures in this movie overall, like throughout the whole movie um, from like, this sequence with the chemical explode plant explosion to the mm-hmm. end with the satellite dish. It's like, I love a movie that does miniature work because it's, I think it's, I think it does. It is better than CG full CG animation sometimes. Agreed. Like, I totally agree. Special effects. Like the, the mixture of visual and special effects, I think is always the best way to go. Like your, uh, your mind will always enjoy something that is actually physically real, even if it is small. Yeah. And an optical illusion versus something that you your mind knows isn't real. Yep. That's why I think the original Jurassic Park has held up over time. Uh, some oh, scenes. yeah. Speaking um, of, speaking of uh, not to jump all the way to the end, but I realized after this, the whole ending with the, the satellite and the base, totally influenced by Jurassic Park. Mm. Just like this, the, the design of that, the layer with the all the, the computer equipment and... You know, it's taking place in a South America, a Caribbean country in Cuba. Oh. You know, all the clothing is kind of similar. I was like, oh, my God. It's like it's that blend of like you got like the rock walls with the cement and the, the technology and stuff. I'm like, it's this is totally influenced by Jurassic Park. So. Yeah, I could see some crossover. Uh, and back to with the miniatures, uh, when the jet cl- uh, crashes into the uh, satellite, um i was like this scene looks oddly familiar like the original batman and it turns out the guy who did that kind of prop work miniature special effects also did yep same guy oh wow i'm sure their gotham was great (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know yeah the miniatures is great and i wish more movies did it and like the last movie i can think of modern movie that did like extensive miniature work is probably inception you know i'm thinking like that's i didn't even know they used miniatures Barely, like it, it, they use it well that you can't even notice. Like the whole base at the end, that that snow base that blows up. Oh yeah, at the end, that's like a, a giant miniature explosion. That's cool. <laughs> so I like tower collapsing. Anyways, um, main title sequence. Oh, well, sorry. One oh, last sorry. thought. Oh, yeah. So since we're talking about special effects and things, so this is related to my epiphany that I had while watching this. So since I had all the bonds growing up and seeing all the different action sequences. This movie, I saw around the same time frame, buttload of times, and it was put into a mental vault of mine for like 20 years. So when I got ready to watch this, I'm like, all right, GoldenEye, good times. And I'm expecting like Spectre quality when watching this movie. And then the intro starts and the dun, 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 like was a little jarring. And even though this action sequence is great, but it felt very dated. And I was like, whoa, this is way older than I thought. And so it was this like epiphany for me because when watching, say, Thunderball and the cocoon boat is about to hit the rocks at the end and 
you can see clear green screen and like fast motion and just like watching that as a kid it's like huh that looks funny that's really dated dad didn't you guys think this was fake and they're like no it's it was it looked good in the theaters and then watching (laughs) this movie i remember as a kid is like oh this is the greatest this is awesome and then now 20 years later being like whoa this is dated and so i it was it was was never meant to be watched on you know the screens we're watching (laughs) yeah yeah but even then i think overall like the cinematography and actually like design of everything i think helps it not seem too dated and seems like much more modern um overall i think okay so into this title sequence and i just want to say this overall i think the weakest part of this movie is the music i would say that plus the next scene which is the biggest problem i have with the directing in this movie (laughs) because it's also also the most dated thing in this movie which is the thing i was hinting at earlier when i said there's one specific thing i have a problem with when it comes to the directing in this yeah that also feels dated and it's it's the next scene. Well, okay. First of all, let's just yeah. get Tina Turner out of the way. Um, I think this song is fine. It's, it's whatever. Not, it's, it's it's not forgettable. Great. You know, yeah. the only notable thing is that Bono and the Edge wrote it for Tina Turner to sing. Um, but it's you know, I think it's it doesn't feel like it fits this movie. No. Uh, yeah. The the one thing that I think was good about the sequence is so once again with elevating the movie. We're setting up Oromov as the bad guy. So mm-hmm. with the titles being like very Russian focused, yeah, makes you the, the audience... ball, the Soviet, you, like all the the visual aspects of the main title sequence is great. I just think the song is this little yeah, the like, song is right, yeah. you know, just a little weird. But yeah, you're right. the The visual elements I think actually are actually really cool. And then they have the whole Janice kind of thing with like the dual woman head, yes. and stuff like that. You know, like so some of the stuff they're like putting in here, I think is great. It's just overall. As we come out of the out of the main title sequence into the worst sequence of the movie, this Bond, although Bond is driving a great car, the DB5, the music in this sequence is god awful. <laughs> yeah. I also found just the driving, like she was like, "Oh, you're going too fast." Like, yeah. James, it, it didn't feel like. Like he, it felt like he knew how to direct everything and shoot everything except this. Like this felt like it was shot by like someone who does like a car commercial at best. Like it was like too wide. Nothing ever actually felt fast. Um, I don't know. I I, th- I found this like this. This was the one part of the movie where I was like, they could just pick this whole part up. Let's this just this, get, this, let's this get all feels this. like on par for the era in terms of. If you guys ever watched the movie Ronin? or like any like European action movie from this era, it's a lot of like these, these type of car chases. So I think it's just, just like something they felt like they had to put in. Uh, it isn't good, but I think it's not like, ter- like the actual like s- stunt work isn't bad. It's I think just cutting between all, you know, between the, the close-ups of all of them and then the awful, I think the music just puts you in such a bad mood mm-hmm. to, to, to watch all this. I just don't know what we gain by the whole scene. I don't know either, actually. I, that's because it's that's like... sort of you know. So and it feels like the thing that was that was produced the, in the worst way. Like it was kind of shot the worst. The stakes were basically non-existent. And I, if it weren't in the movie, I don't know really what we lose. I I agree. I think the only reason why it was probably included was like, oh, let's introduce Xenia by like this dangerous way when yeah, it yeah. wasn't needed. And I. I think the only other supporting thing is this is like you show the evaluator, which I think she was a stereotype of all previous uh, Bond girls of just like 
weak mm. or like not in control of the situation whereas like every other female character in this is strong and critical and so i think she helps show contrast to sure. everyone else she, i i have a problem the fact that she looks too much like samantha bond who plays money penny and so like i remember as a kid maybe younger watching it and being con- thought that was money penny <laughs> and so then later when like she, i like i was confused but yeah she looks too similar to samantha bond so that's why i mm-hmm. i thought that too I, I my my joke is though that in her report to M, she writes at at the final her final thing is bad at sex, is like her her analysis for Bond. <laughs> and by the way, he's bad at sex. Yeah, it's like uh, I'm on top of all these other things that he's uh, got problems with. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, he after the seduces the the psychologist uh, does the evaluation. We're in Monaco. Um, I like how we go back to playing, um, you know, we play Baccarat here instead yeah. of, you know, we were, he was playing Blackjack and License to Kill. And and I like how we go back to a more classy, old school game. So, I was very excited by that. So I enjoy Baccarat only because it's like in Bond movies. But from like being a huge gambler, <laughs> moving to Vegas, like Baccarat is like Blackjack. In the sense that you play yeah, against it's, the it's, dealer, so it's weird when it's heads up. But well, no, but it, I think you can play. It, I think the the most the, back in the day, you, like now it's you play against a house. Yeah, you can play yeah. baccarat, but like the classic way for most gambling actually was you play against other players ah. in, the, in these games. And Plus, so, Bond is usually like in these high stakes rooms. Like I'm sure this kind of thing still maybe exists at some places for. Yeah, players, I know. I know there's high stake rooms, but it's just never high stake back our rooms. But I maybe I've never seen those rooms, and I'd love to. They probably don't exist. <laughs> they don't not, uh, exist as anymore. much anymore. Uh, probably in like yeah. very specific places. Um, yeah. I like the cards, by the way. Cards are great. The no number cards, where you have to like read. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, there's five. Okay, there's five. <laughs> yep. You have to do a little investigation. Huh? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, because you know, like, when you start to get up to, like, seven, eight, nine, you might be like, wait, oh, you have a straight, got it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are so, you sure? Uh, it looks like eight. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to be like, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I like to imagine someone just eating, like, chocolate chip cookies and accidentally, like, added a black dot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like a smear. <laughs> or that's how Bond does it. It's he not a like, spade, ha- it's a that's smear. How, that's, how he cheat, that's how he cheats at the game. He's just got stickers in his cuff link, and he just... Yeah, just puts it right on there. Uh, so he plays against Xenia on a top. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are your thoughts on Xenia? So total mind blower for me. Two things about Xenia. One, so I saw this at a younger age and lived in this bubble of like a fourth grader's mind. Totally missed last name on Tapa. Like, I know that's like very yeah. obvious. And like, I don't know. I thought maybe because the movie's like Russian focused and in the game, she's always Xenia. But totally forgot her last name was on top of it. i'm like oh my god <laughs> yeah it's 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 a it's not so subtle but at the same time like subtle enough for just adults yeah in a weird way um i i don't know if going forward in the future they need to keep this joke happening <laughs> yeah but they don't they have not they, i think in the craig they've kind of retired it I think they have as well. I can't think of them off the top of my head. And I hope that that's true. But like, especially here, it feels even more egregious. We're like in the 90s and like Austin Powers is about to come out. And it's like, 
you're basically giving them ammo. Here. I, that's where I feel like Brosnan. He, it, 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 this is what makes him the weakest is when he's forced to kind of partake in these bad pun mm-hmm. and joke and quip things that he does. I don't think his character needs them. And I think they overdo it quite a bit sometimes. I, I agree. That's so, the campiness of the Pierce Brosnan bond. Yeah. Now, I do think that the on top of it was over the top, but at the same time, it, it alludes to the franchise. And so I think this is that yeah. blend where GoldenEye is not quite the Daniel Craig era of storytelling, but it's elevating from the other ones because, yes, it has that stereotypical last name, but by choosing the name on, on a top, like that is helping define her character because she's very aggressive, yeah. very on top of her partners in the bedroom. And so even though it is ridiculous, I think it was a wise choice for her character. Yeah. You know, and also, and she's played by always a wonderful fan, Key Jansen, who plays Jean Grey in X-Men movies. And yeah, oh, it's great that, actress. That, I met her. Oh, you've met her? Oh, yeah. Have you yeah, met she, her? Did you meet she, her at the store? She's been at the Apple store. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's very tall. Oh, uh, yeah. She's a model. So. So I forgot about that fact and IMDb'd it. And that also blew my mind because I was like, no, Xenia is this separate human being who lives at Goldeneye and doesn't, didn't do anything else. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it. Her and Jean Grey are two separate people. Yeah. It's like, yeah, when, someone puts, when you know someone for like a character with an accent or that, and then suddenly in another movie, they're seem completely like they have a, their American accent just fine. It's like, you're like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, you don't associate sometimes. Your brain kind of separates the two, and it takes a while to yep. adjust to that. But, um, you know, I think for Xenia, it's, I wish they gave her a little bit more. I think she's a little too one note, unfortunately. Oh, really? I think this early stuff, she's great. And then afterwards, he just turns into a sex addict. Like, She's a sex addict, but she's... I, so I see her as, like, a Jaws character in the sense that she's... Mm. Alex's right-hand man because Oromov is a woman and um, or Oromov is a puppet right now. And then she's kind of at his side. But so Jaws, henchman, thug, right hand, doing goon work. And she's kind of doing that throughout the movie. But also like Jaws is defined by his metal teeth and like hit he's Jaws. So he has a metal mouth. And so like for Xenia, so like I said, on a top and... Um, Oh, and her metal where jaws of her where legs. Oh, oh, sorry. So is that she's so she's like overly sexy, uh, aggressive. But so where we're going with this is her killer thighs, and so her, her weapons, her, her jaws is her thighs, her weapon of choice. And I yeah. think even though that's like over the top and ridiculous, I think it complements her really well and works out. Yeah, I just I just kind of wish like I think for a lot of the middle of the movie, she is usually just entering scenes and just kind of standing there and like looking like, you know, you know, evil. But she yeah. doesn't, she's not like given that much to do up and and even like I feel like her death is a little sh- like too short. Like she kind of like comes I in and yeah. I, I remember as a kid, like maybe because I was built up in the game that you like had to actually like battle her and defeat her. And then I remember watching the movie. I'm like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Like how she gets basically defeated so easily. You know, I, mean, I kind of wanted a little bit more by the end. But, you know, that's yeah. just, that's just you know, you can't have everything you want. But, um, yeah, so I think Bond basically tracks her. She's with this Canadian admiral, <laughs> the dopiest looking dude ever. 
Um, <laughs> I so you know she she takes him to bed, kills him, and I guess did she need to do that? Did she need to murder him? Because like when she gets on that boat, all she does is like they hand the ID to that one guy who like glances at it and yeah. then lets him on, and then she kills the two pilots. So it's like you could have had one less like death and just like forged a ID to get on the boat. You know, keep them quiet. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it just seemed like a little bit to go out of your way, you know, to kill that guy. You know, when when you could have gotten uh, on that boat so easily. But I, when rewatching the scene, when there's like the leather glove grabbing the ID, I always thought it was a Romanoff because you see him in the next scene, and then it's like, no, that's clearly Alex, and obviously you just don't know it yet. And oh, it was okay. at least well, that's how, go ahead. I well, I, I see. I I was like kind of watch that moment again and i was like who's the other person with her and it's oromov right because he's in that he gets off the helicopter in serenaya and I'm, so i don't but i don't know because he's like he he had like a beard and he looked like the admiral that they killed you know oh did they show a beard when like they're walking out to the helicopter no no oh. though that look that like i don't know who that is <laughs> right true yeah you it's we confusing. don't know it's it a is. little confusing but yeah, that, I thought that was a little weird. But in terms, when they first showed the idea to get on the boat, like when she's with what someone who's impersonating the admiral that she killed the night before, that's what like that's what I was confused about. I'm like, who's that guy that's impersonating the admiral? He, I, we don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, what, that was confusing. <laughs> um, but I I did have another flashback to the video game during this scene, thinking of the number of times I've thrown that tracker on the helicopter and. Oh, yeah. missing a ton of times <laughs> yeah it's like and like the sound effects the, the, okay so the, like the music may oh, be man, terrible in this sounds. movie but the sound of this movie like just takes you back yes like yeah. the 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 ricocheting bullets like noises yeah all all that pp7 yeah but yeah all that stuff is just like amazing <laughs> I, I, I like the bad guy sounds oh and just like the nun, you know, we we bonded that at one point has a nice judo chop to knock Xenia out. Yep. (laughs) But um, yeah, so you know, I think I think yeah, Bond doesn't get to stop them. They steal this helicopter. Um, We then get the whole Serenaya scene, which is great. We're introduced to Natalia, who. We were all annoyed with in the game because he always had to protect her, but like, Ugh. I she I, died so many times. Yeah, <laughs> but I always kind of liked her in the game too. Like it was annoying when she would die because no one likes the escort missions, but at the same time, it was always like I just liked that you had this person working with Bond who wasn't just like back at MI6. Yeah, the, one, the one thing I liked in the video games with her is the jungle because there are some times where you're like, Shh, oh my gosh, I I gotta reload, and then all of a sudden she lands that magnum bullet, kills the guy. It's like, oh. You did something. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's. I. I think. I think this. You know. I think Natalia is good in this movie. I. I do mm-hmm. like. Um. It's Isabella, uh, Skorupko. I think is the actress play. I think she does a pretty good job. You know. I think she is able to blend this kind of sweet and innocence, but then when she needs to kind of be like, get down to business and actually be angry and like call Bond out for his shit, like she's not afraid to do that either, which is great. Um, and she's I, integral to the plot, which is you can't again, say a lot about Barton Girls. I agree. I think this movie uh, gave her a great role. I like the dynamic of you've got Bond versus 006, 
and then Natalia, which is like his counterpart, and then Boris is kind of 006's counterpart, and they have their own duel, and that and their subplot feeds in the main, <clears throat> excuse me, main plot, and it's great. Yeah. Speaking of Boris, Alan Cumming, he's great. Fantastic. He's he's he he's just plays this. You know, at this time, everyone loves hackers at this point. You know, that's true. Computers and internet, all the rage. But I think, you know, I, I, he's great. I think he just plays it really well. I like the glasses. The glasses are great. His like pen, his pen stuff is great. As all his ticks. Like, you know, you just see an image of him. He doesn't have to say anything. You're like, oh, okay. I know, I know what this is. I know who this character is going to be. Yeah. It's like great. And then his like being like, oh, those slug heads. Yeah, I do also like on how clever and smart he is. May just makes him feel like a good, worthy adversary. And then I like on how his pen tick kind of feels yeah. like it has held the test of time. It feels like a quirky tick a nerd would have at this time. And yeah, yeah it's great. Though I do feel like you you limit your ceiling with being able to hack a speed with speed when you can only work with one hand, like. He like, He's just oh. that good. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, like if you have to get in, in, you know, we have to redo this whole thing at the end. It's like, why get two hands down, man? Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you, why are you, why are you limiting yourself? Um, but yeah, also because it's like 1995, the internet kind of is still not a quite big yet. It's like, I love how his, his like email, he's like, Ooh, I got an email. From the Department of Justice, and like he has to go check it and brings it up, and it becomes this whole thing. It's like they basically just like, well, it's a messenger system, but they like treat it like this. I've got an email. Yeah, <laughs> takes up the whole computer. Yeah, and I learned a lot about spiking and what other I don't know what other hacking terms they use in this uh, in this movie, but spiking was the big one where you can you can counter them and keep and get their modem ha- ha- like all you know I guess blocked until and you can't get like hang up. Yeah. It's uh, sort of like a DDoS attack in a way. I mean, I'm basically just like overrunning everything. Yeah. So with the next scene, right, like after this exchange of the spike and the helicopter lands, I always thought because we were talking about weird things that happened, I thought it was weird that like he goes out to smoke and then he just disappears like the video game, and he doesn't yeah. come back till like mid movie, or and it's just a weird. Yeah, it's, it's it's not until there's a line later when Ormond is meeting with the, the defense counsel. Does it say like, oh, he went missing? Right. And so like that. Yeah, it is weird how like you don't see what happens to him. And like you assume he's still out there. And like, but I it kind of they I think they do at least a decent job of like hiding the fact that like he's he surprisingly is gone. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Though, did he have to sit on Ormoff's lap? on the <laughs> helicopter ride home uh, away from that because right. there, there was only two seats right yep I, they put him in the trunk somewhere yeah. <laughs> he, he's small he'll fit there uh, yeah um but yeah i think this is this scene's all great with you know ormov and xenia shooting everybody up and sabotaging the thing i was a little confused a little bit about what the because i was confused when they said there's another satellite like when mm-hmm. they, i was like wait there's only one satellite, or there's only one weapon, but another system that has been created to communicate with it. Yes. That was what was confusing. Because when they said satellite, I was assuming they were talking about the actual GoldenEye, uh, like, thing in satellite. space. The weapon. The weapon. Yeah. yeah. 
that was that was, was confusing also when they like say like arm the weapon it's like oh they're just taking out of its cocoon thing that you can only do once i guess they only like yeah i guess they just didn't need it until that moment and then i mean imagine being that laser it's like oh boy first day of the job here we go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gotta do it once um you know i think this one too and i remember that we're, when we when we watch um tomorrow never dies the next one what the, what they do for gps this one does a lot for emp where it's like sure. yeah. let's just hit the audience over the head about what emp is and like it's like this big thing that we got to explain <laughs> yeah i would i would think the reason they don't arm it in advance john because it it then suddenly I mean, with Alec being behind this, he knows what modern espionage is. And I think if people saw that thing, you kind of, you know, you don't, you don't want to have that just floating around out there. To well, I, my, my assumption is that it, it's, it was disguised as like another, another type of satellite. Right. And that like, I think, I think I was just confused. I, maybe they shouldn't use the word arm. They would say like release from its, you know, dis, you know, disguise or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the original script said that, and the person was just like, "This is too wordy." Yeah, have him arm the satellite. Just arm it, you know. Yeah, do that way. <laughs> Can we talk about how cool it is to turn two keys at a separate time or at the same time oh, to activate it? I mean, that was so huge. That's so so iconic in movies where it's like got to do it at the same time. Yeah, instantly makes whatever you're doing way more badass. Definitely, I would say this is this moment so is badass both in in this moment and then at the end, just how they do it and it like activates like a new type of screen where yep. it's like the golden eye screen. I'm like, where would you like to fire your weapon today, sir? <laughs> type of thing that like kind of pops up like that. Like the, the 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 tone of the scene and like the music, I think is good in that, in that to sell that. Um, who makes the? Who, I want to know who like makes the UI for this. Like, who's the programmer? They're like, okay, we need you to make the special interface just for the golden eye <laughs> just when it's active and armed not the yeah. the pr previous one <laughs> it's like and what, what font would you like me to use <laughs> I, yeah i mean there could be a whole discussion about uh what's the uh contractor that does the layer work for a lot of yeah. the, a lot of these villains like yeah was alec working in cuba with you know some high level contractor about like how to build this like underground layer that he wanted to do so you know i don't i don't know but or actually now that i think about it it probably was the russians that built it the second one oh, cuba fair. given their presence there so they yeah. probably it was this old probably facility that they retrofitted then to to take over um we can't go any further without speaking of probably the drastic change out of the bond movies which was recasting m with judy dench oh yeah so I love it. I love it. It's a great, I think it's a great change up. Um, you great. know, obviously M with Bernard Lee and, and then mm. he was recast later, but I, I think this is a great choice to make. I, I agree. I think it was a great choice. I think the best thing in this scene when she's debrief or briefing him is that he was like, Oh, your old predecessor had cognac in the back. And she's like, I'm a bourbon person. Yeah. And it's just like, she's setting the line, setting the tone with bond. And it's like, all right. Yeah. It's like, she's, she's like, I'm not going to, I'm like my predecessor. I'm not going to be bullshit by you. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to be like swayed by you. Like I have my plan. I'm, I'm the head of this department in this, uh, 
this organization and I'm, I'm going to make the decisions here. I think yeah, this whole scene, this whole thing between them is great because you get in just a, a sense that they're trying to understand one each other. And I think they do respect each other, but she just gives them a talking down to it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I think, I think is awesome. And I like Judy Den. She's great. You know? Yeah. How can you, how can you not like her? Yeah. yeah she's, it, it sucks for whoever had to replace her, you know, like the current M is great. Don't get me wrong, better than the original M yeah, by a yeah. wide margin. But um, she's she was perfect as M. She mm-hmm. was great. Yeah, I know it's. I like believed when she would give Bond like crap for anything. Like I would believe that she would do that. Like it didn't. It never came off as uh, disingenuous ever. It always felt organic, like her relationship with Bond. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I did like that, you know, she entered this picture as she was more of an analytical person. It was all about the data and how does that, like, map out what we should do. And then Bond is sort of like, sometimes data can't get the job done. Like, sometimes you actually need someone like me, a Cold War dinosaur, to come in and actually, like, (laughs) save the world, you know. Um, Which I think is kind of a nice dynamic between the two, which is great. Um, and we get, like I mentioned before, we get a new Money Penny. Uh, Samantha Bond plays her. I like the, I like. I've always liked Samantha Bond as as this Money Penny because she has this kind of mix of like sweet English woman, but like she's able to kind of battle back and forth with Bond a little bit and give him kind of give him crap back in his face when she when he hits on her. <laughs> and we needed it because the last Money Penny was getting very old. Oh well, well, yeah. When it was, you know, Mac, uh, Lois Maxwell, yes, in terms of old, and then we had Carolyn Bliss in the in the Dalton era, which she was just too of a gushy fangirl for Bond. Yeah, you know, but, didn't seem like someone that would work at MI6. No, and she more like worked for Q, which is weird. Yeah, um, but I, and I did like in this movie too. In the beginning, when she when Bond's doing the scan of Xenia, she's the one that's like reporting to him what's like what the information came back as which so i I like that like she's more she's not just uh m's secretary it's like she actually relays information to bond right more than more of an agent yeah it feels more part of the team and like for part of the mission itself which is great yeah um yeah so oh yeah i did want to actually i made an error when we watched the living daylights and i thought pushkin in that movie played by John Reese davis Gimli, or uh, from Lord of the Rings, he plays Pushkin. I thought he, like, that character was in this movie, but that's a different character, actually, because this character's name is Mishkin in this movie, the defense minister. And so I thought those two characters were the same. I apologize. They are not I the mean, same. I mean, Pushkin, Mishkin. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Close. Easy mistake. They both have, he's like... A, he's they, a shkin. They both have goatees. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's an honest mistake, but I just, mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out, that I made that mistake. Um... I just remember in the game always killing him or him dying <laughs> accidentally. You could accidentally kill him. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, I I wished I just saw like one more scene of him. I mean, he's got like this scene at the like defense table, and then like later in archive. But I just wanted one more scene. I thought he was fine, it was smooth, and but I'm not complaining. I... Yeah. Yeah. The moment between him and and Ormov when he tells him about Natalia being alive, I I love that moment because it's like Mm -hmm. Ormov is so sweaty and just like, just so like, oh my God. (laughs) And it was like the music is all like, you know, tense. 
mm-hmm. that's great between the two. Um, yeah, it, Bond goes to St. Petersburg where mm. he meets up with Felix Leiter. I'm sorry, I mean Jack Wade. <laughs> <laughs> Who was in a previous movie. <laughs> in the Living Daylights as the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Joe Don Baker. Um, I like, I like why, Wade. Why, why not just do Felix? I agree. I think, I think for some reason they thought because in the last movie he had his leg and arm eaten by a shark. Sure, they, and they're, for, they're still going through this hole. It's the same guy. Yeah, they they were afraid to do that again. I don't know. Yeah, so stupid. They decided to make this guy this new character, but in all purposes, he's basically he's Felix. the same guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Wade is a worse name. Jack Wade. Jack Wade. Yep. <laughs> Yo, Jimbo. Yeah, very American. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. He they really like up the Americanness of him, which is. Yeah. But I do like that, even though it is very American, it's not with GW uh, from uh, the man with the golden gun. Oh, J.W. Pepper. Yeah. J.W. Pepper. Yeah. So he, I see him as Jack Wade is like a 2.0 version of him. It, it's it's better. He's definitely better than J.W. Pepper. J.W. Pepper <laughs> is out of this world crazy and, <laughs> and totally not for these movies. But <laughs> imagine he just shows up in a Brosnan movie. Well, 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 <laughs> I know you. Uh, the The thing that I found really interesting about the scene with Wade is how often they do the whole like, oh, it's this person, you know, when they're they're like, we're going to go have you like yeah. you got it's Zukovsky. And it's like, oh, Zukovsky. Like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, the guy that X, Y and Z. And it's they they love to be like referencing things that didn't actually happen in other movies all the time but But we're just supposed to other stories that have been unexplored yet yeah exactly and i i both always am kind of like i wish we could actually see some of that stuff if we're gonna like introduce these characters when they're there's such a wide variety of other characters that have been in other films that they could just pull people in from and just use those um or it's like i don't know it's also cool though too like it's 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 that double kind of sort thing but i think that's this is back to why this movie's great because it starts to scratch at that of trying to reference it because they call back to valentine later in world's not enough ads yeah so granted yes we don't see it but it's it's starting to show that world a bit better yeah i think they do a good job in this movie of kind of really showing that bond did have a past and that like there are other characters in that past and things involved and he did all these other missions and alec alludes to a lot of that as well when his when he taught when he's reintroduced and, re- and talking um but yeah it, i love this right before he meets goes to zakowski when he's like he's like oh yeah he's got a limp he's like you know him? he's like yeah i'm the one that gave him the limp <laughs> it's great but uh i love zakowski he's great uh played by always the wonderful robbie coltrane who many might recognize him as Hagrid if he has the beard, but uh, from the Harry Potter movies. But he's great. I love this whole scene with him and Minnie Driver as his mistress. Who's I mean, I love anything with Minnie Driver, especially when she's Minnie playing the Russian. That's poorly singing "Stand by Your Man." <laughs> she's she is wonderful. Hey, take a hike. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And then yeah, gives him the fist. Yeah, I love that when Bond he doesn't like truly get desperate until Zukovsky like aims the gun at his dick. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll help I, you out. 
I do think what is a cool setup to introducing Valentine is as Bond pulls the pistol on him and then his goon pulls the pistol is like he's, I don't know, just a, I don't know, badass uh, mafia guy who walks softly and carry a big stick. And so, like, mm-hmm. he's so protected, he doesn't need to carry a gun. And I think that yeah. speaks to And the fact to that him. he can recognize a gun by its uh, clicking, it's being, you know, loaded. Yep. Loaded sound. He's like, what the PPK? I know three <laughs> men who carry them, and I've killed two of them. Yep. He's <laughs> like, must be James Bond. Um, yeah. I, was, I don't know what Bond's plan was there. Like, he's just going <laughs> to put a gun on him in the middle of his club and not get, like, you know ambushed i feel like yeah. bond makes a lot of bad choices here in the sense of like doesn't really have a plan for valentine except to buy him off with government buddy and yeah. then which he goes to the meeting with valentine and they make the arrangement but like i i don't understand bond's plan of like i'm gonna meet up with a head crime syndicate to like confront you about stealing a helicopter and not tell mi6 or like anyone and no backup and just seems like he's winging it really hard right I now bet that is definitely a trait from both like the books and in the movies is like bond yeah. is always thinking he can kind of do it alone yes like he's yep. like i can just do go to this meeting I'll, I'll go if zukowski can set me up with janice like i can meet him i don't need i don't need to report this to mi6 or do this anything and so i think and then he always that always gets him in trouble so i think i think it's definitely a trait for him it's a sort of arrogance yeah and that's true you know, but it's sometimes it works in his favor and uh, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, so he gets Sikowski to set up a meeting with Janice, who ends up being Xenia, who meets him at the at the pool. They have this wonderful, wonderful scene of them <laughs> fighting in the steam room, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. And then uh, one thing I wanted to point out was when she when he gets the gun on her and he's like no more foreplay now take yeah. me to take me to janice and it cuts to them in a car and they're dressed up they're like kind of fully dressed up and my <laughs> yeah. thing is like so did he have the gun on her the whole time and they had they got dressed together with it with the gun like pointed like the yeah. whole time <laughs> well, hold on don't move what uh, yeah, uh, there like, we go <laughs> That's why, like, it's one of those things. In, uh, it's one of those things in movies where you don't think about it, but then you're like, you're like, how did they get their clothes on in the car? <laughs> but, um, yeah. So we get to the. I like this. The scene's great with statues. The statue level. So good. Always well, fl- the creepiest level. Yeah. Flashback. Uh, the just giant statues everywhere. I was just like, ah, oh, I never played this level. It's too confusing. It just you get lost in a pain. Dark couldn't tell yeah. anything um is this like really the only time we get like a like a truly cinematic reveal of a villain mm-hmm. yeah i think the lighting is so good in this scene yeah yes. it's like i'm trying to remember any other time in previous movies where they did that and i don't i, don't, I think this is the first time we've really gotten that I, like in the sense of a reveal or just in general just in a re- like a, a a reveal but also yeah. like any other like villain introduction if you like I'm trying to think back in all the movies. Yeah. They're really, One thing yeah. that it reminds me a little bit of is when they did the crazy lighting during the um, projection at the pyramids. Oh, yeah. Jaws. With Jaws. But he's, he's introduced before that, though. Yeah, he is. So that's why I was asking, like, specifically as an introduction or just the general lighting. Because that, that was, in some ways, kind of like how this is done. 
Yeah, I would say like, oh yeah, in terms of like the background lighting, remind. I, I, you're right. It kind of does remind you of the pyramid scene. That thing. Uh, I, I do like on how when this reveal happens, this is when we really start to see the strong cast of like harsh lighting of light and dark, mm -hmm. and they do this nice wide shot where 006 is in the left and Bond's on the right, and it's just blacks and little white just from the light. And I think you start seeing this lighting here moving forward, just reemphasizing that betrayal. You're either the good guy or the bad guy, the twist. And it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, Janice reveals himself to be Alec. Um, there's this whole thing, this underplot line where his parents were these Lienz Cossacks, these like Russians that worked for the Nazis. And then mm -hmm. after the, you know, World War II, they like went to England to, uh, for like be refugees and then England essentially gave them like betrayed them and sent them to to Russia to all get killed um you know it feels like MI6 throughout most of this era makes a lot of like poor uh hiring decisions sometimes like some <laughs> they're like yeah this guy's background is not gonna potentially affect his loyalty to uh to our country I don't know maybe <laughs> or maybe not who knows let's see what happens yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I do also like at this time, now that we're revealing 006, that he's got the burn scar face. And so that's like a trope back to Bond villains having a figure disfigurement. Dis yeah. disfigurement. yeah, that's and, what I was about to just bring up. It's like, body, here we go, more body disfigurement. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's a bad guy. Yep. And then the other motif or symbolism of Janus, Two-Face, and they reference that. And so he's literally Two-Faced. So it's just great. Yeah, he's just like Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever. Just the exact same. <laughs> exact same. <laughs> he flips a coin and everything. Uh, yeah, no, overall, I think, like, yeah, this is great. I love uh, Sean Bean, I think, does a great job. I think of just, he's cold, and he, but he also knows kind of what pushes Bond's buttons overall, like, because they have a history together. Um, and I think there's just some great stuff here. And, I, and you know. I like when Bond finally is about to shoot him and he gets shot in the neck with a dart. dart. Yep. <laughs> Thank and, God that guy had accuracy. Oh, yeah. He had one job to do and he nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do like that from this moment forward in the movie, I feel like the movie just ramps up. And Big time. there's yeah. not that it was bad or too slow. It's established itself and it's fine, but it just goes on a forward trajectory to awesomeness and. I, it's great great tempo for the rest of the movie yeah well because i mean at this point now bond realizes what he's up against and he also realizes how behind he is because you know trevelyan's been planning this for ever yeah and so it's like they've got the same training they've got the same mind but bond is actually like ill prepared for this yep yeah and he knows that like now they knows who he who he's dealing with he realizes that he grossly misunderstood like kind of mm -hmm. what what the stakes were um which is good and you know so i think when him you know so we get the helicopter scene where you know he's was stuck with uh natalia and like all these villains got to play with their food man i know why why is <laughs> why there, they never win why is there a eject button near the head of the pilot like what if he accidentally hits it with his head yeah, <laughs> yeah no one thought about that this giant red bud right here I did notice though that he it needed the, the the helicopter needed to turn on the engines needed to start 
uh-huh. in order for him to hit the eject button. So I think maybe what they were relying on was that hopefully he couldn't bang his head forward uh-huh. and turn it on. So then he could hit the thing on the side. That's what I noticed that this time around. I was like, he couldn't just hit it right from the start. That makes sense. But it, yeah. is this a whole pun? Because Bond had to use his head to get out of the scene? <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's some some sort of uh, visual gag there. And some, some double it also meeting. just feels so bizarre. It's like, you're going to wake him up just so he can watch himself die? Just, just kill him. <laughs> or just light the thing on fire. Like, yeah, burn him yeah. inside the helicopter if you want to blow it up. You know. Yeah. You know. To remove the ejection seat. Yep. <laughs> Disable the button. You know? But he's Anything. Got- He's got to give him that one thing to get out. It wouldn't be a movie if it did. Yeah. It would have ended right there. Um, yeah, so they they make it out of there, but then they get arrested, brought to the archives, <laughs> as it's so no commonly called in the video game. Yep. Archives. Um, this is a great scene with Mishkin, um, which is great, where he's like, how would you like you know, your execution to happen? And he's like, he's like, what? Mm-hmm. No chit-chat? No small talk? It's like, you know... It's not the old days where you know, used to be interrogated, actually. <laughs> I think which is great beat because it shows uh, Pierce Bronson some of his charm right there. And so it's like Bond being cocky, but him being smooth. And I don't know, it I don't know, wasn't a lot of it up to this point. And he just briefly interjects it. And I think just it's a great moment. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, Ormov comes in, interferes, shoots Michigan, the guard, try like uses bond's gun to do it so he's gonna blame him for trying to do it but bond knocks him out and they run this is where you get peak gung fu john mcclain james bond where he's like jumping and sliding and just like just wasting people with the with the machine gun. yeah yep i do love on how like as i said the movie's starting to ramp up and so they allow this sequence in the movie to like Let's give him Bond. And he we crank up the Bond theme to 10 or even 11. And it just guns, bullets, bad guys, and gadgets. And then I flashbacked because, A, of all the bad guys of this in the video game. But also, he breaks through the window. And I'm like, oh, my God, there, there's a tank he drives. And yeah. it, I forgot about that. Yeah, like, you know. The the whole archives part where they're running on the on the second floor and being shot at all the like spark squibs and all the things flying up that's like so iconic, I love that, and then I think this is to me the the tank chase is probably the best to me the the best moment in Bond films oh. in general. I Why think do you this say that? is and also the best vi- physical stunt I think, I probably like almost in any movie I've seen, just. I don't know why. I, I love this this whole sequence here, with him. You know, I, the metaphor is that you have Bond, a figure of the Cold War, literally smashing through the thing that looks like a Berlin Wall with a tank, and just like yeah, yeah, and just giving no fucks, and just like driving this thing down this road, and just like they go in an alleyway. Screw it, I'm just gonna go in an alleyway too with my tank. It's all that's great. Tr- that's Everything true. That's great. And I, it's funny because as we're watching that, I watched the scene. A part of me was like, "Is this too over the top?" But I, and I didn't think so. I thought it was justified. But as you're watching the scene, he's very calm, collected, and he felt like a modern white knight here to save the day. And he's, I don't know, glorious. And also like in the tank once again, seeing that harsh lighting. So it's like he's very in control, 
I just it was good. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. He does like a couple like tie fixes and he like he. Yeah. And like the way he drives in, skids it over things and just smashes things. Um, there's that one part like I saw it again and like you you can't really tell, but it's a dummy. It's a mannequin that when he smashes that police car, when he runs over like the passenger side and like he like crushes the mannequin. But mm-hmm. oh. they do, the, but then they do the cut too. You see the aftermath. And you see a guy like stumbling out of it. So they, I think they purposely wanted to make sure you're like, okay, he didn't just kill that guy. <laughs> like, right. make sure he's okay. <laughs> I think the best thing about the whole train sequence, sorry, well, not the train. Uh, I'm jumping ahead, but the tank sequence is this is now post Cold War, and the Cold War bond. I mean, there was. In some of the movies, they did different things, like where they were basically kind of showing how, like, these wars were, like, you know, of espionage were being fought by people that are essentially just like playing games with citizens' lives, like that. That that's sort of a theme that's been in the other ones, as well as um, just a little bit of like some Red Scare stuff that's been in them. But with this one, I think this is sort of like the final button on it to kind of be like. Hey, like the Cold War's done, but people like got really hurt during this time. And just because we didn't like wipe each other out, like which what everyone was worried about, there's a lot of people who like lost their lives because um countries were just kind of abandoned to, you know, their own kind of they had to fend for themselves because people weren't interfering, people weren't yeah. doing things. And so like Alec feels like what they're trying to do and say is like, Hey, just because we're, we didn't end up going to like real war um, doesn't mean that there weren't like casualties. And now the fighting that we do is like kind of in our own backyards at time. And so that's why I think it's good that like, he's got, he's in this tank and he's like just going down like streets and he's going down alleyways. And that wouldn't have happened in the old bonds because that would be like it would be too much disruption of like normal everyday life yeah. and like as the newer bonds became newer and newer it was like oh these wars aren't like these fights aren't being held in like secret lairs anymore and they're not like away from society they're like actually like ingrained in society now because the bad guys are people who were just regular citizens who have been like had their lives ruined yeah by these countries and so like this tank having to like go through the streets and destroy everything is kind of symbolic of the messiness of the way we've created the villains now with like the way the world is. It's also the transition from bond. And we saw this like with Dalton a little bit of him being more of a soldier than a spy. Yes. And it's like more willing to like just utterly destroy what's in front of him versus like sneaking around. And I think for the most part for Brosnan, I think he starts as a spy and then when he's cornered or is out of options, he will do what is necessary to get what he wants. And so I think that's this is what right. you're seeing here. It's like he has no options. Like how is he going to get to get Natalia and get and, and follow Ormov? It's like, okay, I I I could have gotten a car, but might as well just use a tank because it's protects me. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot easier. But um yeah, it's great. Um also, you know, I think we're going to notice these in these Brazilian movies, but a lot of these, most of these movies are paid with uh, product placements. Um, sure. You know, this one, you don't notice it so much. The only thing I, biggest one is the Perrier truck that yep. he smashes. 
Um, but I think in the upcoming movies, we're gonna know, we're gonna notice a lot of products. <laughs> oh, Perrier, sorry, Perrier, Perrier. Um, but yeah, we're gonna notice a lot of product placements coming up because apparently that's how a lot of the full budgets were paid for with placements. The whole budget? Yeah, I, I think for wow. like World is Not Enough and like Die Another Day, like a hundred percent of it was covered by product placement. Crazy! Wow, yeah. didn't know it was that much. I know it's crazy. No wonder they were like, let's do a video game. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> do it um train the train sequence uh what'd you guys think of the 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 train stuff uh, uh so this flashback was probably my second favorite level i just thought it was fun to go straight shooting the bad guys and you got the little standoff but even yeah in the game or in the movie you got the standoff oh well so before the standoff happens i liked that this is a scene where we see 006 again and he does his version of being charming, but in a weird psycho sadistic way. And I liked it because it just further shows that it's like Bond's equal, but opposite. And it was a charming psycho. And so I thought that was cool. I think um, I lost my mind the second that laser came out because <laughs> that was one of my absolute favorite things in the James Bond yeah. game when you do the all weapons cheats. You got the you little like laser. You, gotta get the you get latches, you get yeah. the unlimited ammo on that laser. You put on the one hit kills, and then you're just rolling around with the laser just blasting people. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually like this is talking about lasers. We we skipped over. We didn't talk about the Q scene. Oh, uh, oh we, yeah. we didn't. We, we wasn't talked about Gosh, Q, which is always like my favorite. This is actually a really good Q scene. Um, mm-hmm. I love Desmond well, and you know, obviously he's getting up there with age at this point. This is like his basically like almost second to last a third to last movie he's in um surprisingly like for he's given a lot of gadgets but he doesn't use a lot of gadgets i think the laser watch is pro and the belt are really the only two, two things he uses in in the world and then the pen obviously and the pen yeah finally the pen i did want i was going to point out was that so they do this whole point part where they show off the car the bmw z3 but it was so new and so prototype that they couldn't do like they weren't able in time to have put any actual gadgets or like to do any special effects with it that's why you never see it used you only see him uh, driving yeah. it and then he never actually you know uses the stina missiles in the front of the uh head you know the headlights and stuff and all the stuff so I, I was like always wondering that remember watching and being like so he's given a car, given an ex- explanation for some stuff, but he never uses it. And I was like, oh, it's because they didn't actually have, have time or budget to put it in there. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I wondered the same thing. I also liked in watching the scene, it reminded me of working in a con- uh, construction site and you had guys always messing with each other and pranking each other. And so you see the guy in the t- phone booth blow up and then later the lady shoot out of the car. And I just thought it's like, Oh man, this is like hell zone for pranksters, and I you just don't want to get out of what's bad day. Also, you don't know. What are like the work accidents like? Because when Q first shows up with that leg rocket launcher wheelchair thing, mm-hmm. it like shoots past what looks like a target and like hits something behind it and blows up. And I'm like, did they? Did he tell people to clear? Make sure to clear <laughs> out like in this contained He's kind room. Of becoming as like as careless as old james bond used to be with him yeah it's like they've like they're making q a little like 
you know, lackadaisical with his own safety measurements. Whereas it was used to always be like, Bond, don't pick that up. You're going to. And now he's just like, all right, let's go ahead and blow this up. It would be <laughs> like a funny, like parody of like a documentary talking about like the numerous wrongful death lawsuits that like Q branch had to go through for all like the technicians who've died in that lab from, from various things. I do think this also has my favorite uh, Q line. Don't touch that. That's my lunch. Yeah, that's a, that's a, probably the best way they've ended a Q scene, I mm. think, ever, because it's like he he always does that. He's like, don't touch that. Like, don't, don't mess with my stuff. But then they flip it and be like, that's my lunch. Right. Yeah, it's such a great. Yeah, I was going to point that out. That's like one of my favorite Q lines, I think, in any movie. Um, yeah. He's great. Uh, anyway, so that's why I like wanted to get the speaking of like the laser watch, which you used to get out. Um Natalia finds out where Boris is because she spikes him and does the thing. And so they're going to go to Cuba. That's where they go to Cuba. Um, where... and, sorry about the train. Uh, so I thought that this was also one of the most tense scenes or the tension in the scene is phenomenal yeah. in that obviously Bond's doing the watch and trying to escape, but they also do need to figure out where they're going. And so there's this duality problem of we got to go but we got to stay which yeah. further supports that there's bond and natalia the two of them there are two plot lines and it's just i just great suspense yeah no i i would agree that's that's all great um boris why is your password so simple why is it just a chair <laughs> lowercase you know <laughs> <laughs> get with the times boris throw a capital in there somewhere yeah like where's your number an exclamation point you know um, I thought that was always funny thinking about that. I was like, I know he's all like being like, no one's going to get it because it's like a riddle involved, but it's like, that seems like a code breaker could crack that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty easily. Um, but the, yeah. you know, that he's, he's too smart so that, you know, he's like, eh, it'll be fine. Cause he thinks everyone else is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Over cockiness. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And he, and he loses because of it. So, um, yeah. So Cuba, Bond trades in his non-working car for a plane with Jack Wade. Um, what it, what does Q bring him in in that bag? And he's like, I, I I don't know if it's it's just clothes or I don't know what the deal. Well, I don't know exactly what he brought him, but <laughs> maybe that's where he gets the remote mines. Yeah, it's the remote mine. Yeah. Oh, it's the remote. This is mines. where he okay. got the remote that's mines. Right. Yeah. Oh, those, the, those things are so iconic to the game. The dopest weapon. Yeah. No, I mean the proximity mines are 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 better. Hundred percent. Like in the game, but the remote mines are are more fun christian were uh, you one of those people that went around and put proximity mines on the spawn points and no then, and then i would people I, I they would like die. to do just like i like to stack them so you'd have like 10 and like they're just like <laughs> off the wall you know it looks like it looks like a bar almost like it like yeah i do also think you could have shot it out of like someone's hand if they're holding it or yes. throwing it so that was pretty Jeez. cool uh and then you could also throw it on like ammo crates or body armor and then if you picked it up i did that it i did that yes that was nice <laughs> uh so funny but anyways yeah so they get the plane jack is like yo if you need anything i got the marines off to the off to the side somewhere um and so the movie slows down for a hot second when they stay at this lovely beachside little cottage um eh. This is, I think, I think this is, other than the driving scene in the beginning, this is probably the weakest part of the movie for me because, That's like... why it's not in the video game. <laughs> yeah. 
I, when rewatching this movie, was like, is this like a deleted scene? I literally edited this scene out of my mind. Yeah, same. Yeah, because it's like, I don't, like, it's kind of don't need it, almost. Like, you, I get why they will have it, is like, they want to have, like, a slowdown moment and maybe, like, a little exploration of, like, Bond's character. It, Natalia just, get, I think she gets a little too angry with him for no reason. <laughs> like, comes off weird. But it does, especially considering like she's going through a lot of the same stuff he is. So like, I don't know why they have to write them so contrast. Like she they're writing her to be like overly emotional. That that makes sense for her character up to this point. Yeah, to be his conscious in some ways. Yeah. yeah. It's I didn't I really didn't like this. (laughs) Yeah. Most of the stuff was kind of boring and the music doesn't really help at all. But. I did like. I don't dislike it, but yeah. I just don't like it. Yeah, like I do. I do. The one thing I do like, actually, not from the scene though, that I know it's from the train when when Bond's like, "Go ahead, kill her. I don't care." And then they call it back later with Natalia being like, "Go ahead, shoot him. I don't care." You know, yep. I thought that was a fun uh, play on play on that. Uh, that thing, I, which was great. That leads to that play on play, but also right after, as they escape from the train, she's like, "Is every vehicle you get into get exploded <laughs> or destroyed?" And so then she does that, like, as Jack comes in with the plane. What's it with you and vehicles? And then yeah. she does it again at the end. So they have this, like, they build just this nice little playful banter that I don't think he, Bond, got with any of the other uh, Bond girls well. And so I thought I liked that playfulness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is good. I, I feel like she is definitely one of the more stronger Bond girls in terms of just. I totally agree. Agree. Just how she's yeah. used in the movie and how important she is actually to the plot. And... She's a little. A little bit like Triple X in some ways. Agent Triple X. Not as cold, obviously, but I think her competence. Uh, the things I do for my country. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Speaking of competent women. Xenia on top? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get what she wanted to do. She was going to, like, I'm going to torture here, them on this ground. Um she should have been like, yo, helicopter, like, circle around for a bit. Come pick me up in a little bit after I'm done with them. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up. But, you know, Bond thinks on his feet. He reattaches her to the helicopter and then shoots, uses her gun to blast it. I, I don't know why she didn't use her grenade launcher or her assault rifle that she had in the or game. Her thighs. Or, yeah, she tried. Well, she was using her thighs. Yeah, she tried. She's trying. Not hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I did like when she... Uh, Natalia hits her and then she like pushes it down. She's like, wait, your turn. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, ooh, what's she going to do with her? Nope. Um, yeah. Like, uh, again, the, with the miniatures, this whole satellite dish is great. I think oh. this is definitely what, like, but they actually use it's a real place, like a real satellite dish that's yeah. like in some country. I, I think this is using contact because it's like one of those deep space, like frequency satellites that they use to like find aliens and shit. Like SETI? maybe <laughs> no i'm not i'm joking not the aliens you're talking about like one of the like spectrum yeah it's like satellites. one of those like that picks up like deep space like it might be signals and stuff that might be because i re- I distinctly remember this satellite dish in the movie contact so <laughs> i do like when they're revealing the satellite dish but i think it's really awkward seeing the water go back in because it's like reversed that yeah. I, if it looks like they're just flooding it, but then they played it backwards, and so the water always looked weird, empty in the dish. 
Yeah, and plus with like, and sometimes with miniatures, you get that weird. You you can notice that they are miniature because the water is just so huge, mm. and like the way it's splashing about, you can tell it's like a much smaller area they're working with. Um, yeah, it's like also where that where does that water go? They just like pump it out somewhere, or it's, <laughs> you know, who knows. Uh, but I, I overall the, the effect is cool, and um, like I said, I think the design of this whole layer had very much Jurassic Park in mind when they designed it. Um, but I feel so bad for all those like Cubans that like work for work there. Cause I felt like a lot of them seemed just like normal Joe Schmoes that like didn't know what was going on, which is probably true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think like definitely most of the soldiers are Russian. Cause like they, they were speaking Russian when they were yelling at each other. Yeah. So I think some of our defectors with, with Alec and stuff and from an Ormov and stuff. So, but um yeah let's i think we'll, we'll get to the let's just get to the pen scene you well, know? uh because we just lightly touched on the romo mines like bond plants oh, yeah. the romo mines and then it does this nice pan and a those mines are huge yeah. <laughs> they're like take, they're the size of your head but also uh i just i know that seems to build tension of like oh bonds landed uh the mines and I just I was never a fan of the Romo mines. I'm like, oh, those those Romo mines aren't going to go off. It's yeah. it's going to be a failure. Well, it, it, like it plays into this as we get to this, this sort of climactic scene here, where you know Trevelyan knows that you know Bond has probably planted mines, and so he's like, oh, you got mm-hmm. a new model of your watch? Let me see. Is it do I press this button? I'm like, what if he accidentally sets off the mines? By yeah. Pressing <laughs> the button. <laughs> yep. He's like, oops, they moved the button around this time. Like, don't remember that. Um, but yeah, like. Him, him being able to foil Bond's initial plan is great. Um, and then Bond has to think on his feet and realize it's the grenade pen is in play, which is awesome. Uh, before the pen, I did like just the light talk of uh, Alec talking about his plan and Bond's like trying to pick at him. And he's like, oh, don't Freud me. Uh, you know, yeah. how many martinis save make up for all the countless lives you took and once again, I think it's the movie trying to scratch at the surface of like digging deeper into Bond's character, which hasn't really been done before. But yeah, they were scared to go too deep. So I, I like that it's touched on. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely I, they do it more so in this movie than in most other movies where even in other movies are afraid to like even talk that like Tracy Bond died and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like they, they usually don't like to talk about his past too much, but it's good that they like bring that as a central point of this story between these two characters. Um, I think part of that, too, though, is also just uh, a generational thing. It was like it was never really OK for James Bond to ever seem like he was made upset by something like mm-hmm. sad. Yeah. It's OK to make him angry. So it's OK to have him be angry about Alec but not necessarily like sad that he was betrayed or sad that like his wife died or something. So agreed. This is, I think now, you know, it's 1995. They're like, okay, we, I think can have a younger James Bond who maybe gives a shit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Bond tries to like kind of tug at Alec by saying like, basically you're no, you know, better than a common thief. Cause basically you're going to, digitally take money out of the bank of england or whatever and then emp it all which i'm thinking of like okay if you steal money from this thing and then you basically destroy like systems in place don't you kind of like ruin your chance to even use the money properly it's like, 
You're kind of oh, like because he's not trying to though. He just wants to destabilize them. Yeah, but he he also does want the money. Like he does want to fill his bank accounts, and he does say earlier with Ormond, it's like soon we'll be richer than God, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, um, have you? Did you guys actually try to like count the pen clicks? Yes. <laughs> uh, I couldn't. I like try. No. I think I rewatched it like once, and I was like, no, I I, I cannot count right now. What's I did, and I kept thinking it was like two times because it's a lot of click, 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 and yeah. then because I think one of them, someone starts yelling, and there is a click that sneaks in, so oh, it in, yeah. it is there. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of clicks they they do off screen, I think, because otherwise it would have been past four seconds and it would have already blown up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, yeah, and I was so other than the train scene. So we're we're ramping up the movie. We do that great train scene, and then here we are with the iconic pen blowing up scene, and ah, just like the climax and tension of this scene is great, and just so much tension, and I loved it. Yeah, it's great. And then you know you get you, you get kind of this like not you know it's like sort of a dual thing going on where Bond and Alec are having this kind of showdown on top of the satellite, um, you know, which I remember from the game just being this like right you gotta just run around. And chase him and shoot him. And he <laughs> yep. just keeps running and running um, until he gets to the end. But, um, you know, I think, like, all this is great. I think it's all really cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything anything specific from this whole finale which uh, come to mind. For me, I loved on how the finale developed in the sense that you finally have Bond and Alec going against each other. And so you have this, like, presence of, like, the cradle. And then they get into, like, that uh like construction room. box yeah. yeah yeah the box and so once again you see that harsh lighting and then it's like oh this is the duel and then he hits the ladder down and then just that beautiful shot of alec putting his foot on his hand and it's and the music goes like flat for a second and it's just like that vulnerability that once again we hadn't seen in other bonds showing here and mm-hmm. it just builds this peak uh, and it's great yeah. and it's great and it's a great line too at the end here where he's like franklin jens no for me and then he lets him go and he's like oh man when that when that like dummy hits the ground they show they have that shot of it hitting the ground like from the side and yep. his leg is so broken it's like in like six spots it's like just zigzagging and you're like oh yeah it's very gross yeah and the fact that he survives that is so crazy that's the most ridiculous part. Yeah, that's the most like uh, Roger Moore esque campy part of the whole movie is him actually yes. surviving that. So then when it blows up and falls on him, he's like, "No!" <laughs> it's like, "Why?" Do you think it's it's interesting how? So I mean, earlier at the start of the movie, I wonder if this is planned because it seems pretty subtle, but thematically, it does call back to the first bomb. You know, he says like. He scarred up because it went off in three minutes instead of six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now the pen grenade also explodes, also kind of throwing everything into the air. It, it seems like both times, like he said, like luck or fate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like sometimes, like I think it's both with Bond. Yeah. You know, it it definitely is. Yeah, he's so got that, he's got a little bit of that plot armor. But that's a great kind of running like through line like setup and kind of just throughout this whole movie, which I think is great. Um. <laughs> You know, then, yeah, Natalia comes in with the gunship. Um, I've, I always forget that, like, she's not piloting it. She just has a gun to some guy's head. Yeah. Just, like, <laughs> get it closer. 
which is great. And then they get off as everything explodes. Um, you know, they the, the 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 scene here where they land, where they fall to the ground, and they they think they're alone. And then you know, yo Jimbo, and then Wade Wade shows up. The effect of they they do it obviously perfect with the shot. But it's like when he finally like announces and all the Marines stand up, those like three helicopters come in and you're like, you would have heard those helicopters like from a mm. mile away. Like, yep. what are they, silence helicopters? <laughs> but also it's just the Americans are a bunch of punks, like literally take it up like 100 yard section of this jungle. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a giant like satellite blowing up. Yeah, let's just keep our heads down <laughs> yeah, in the grass. Keep it low. <laughs> Or like, uh, if, you, if this was a comedy, it would have been like, "Hey, can you get off of his neck? You're standing on one of my boys, like one of my soldiers' is like head right now." He's like, hey, "Help me!" Well, but part of the thing with that, right, has got to be the fact that like this is in Cuba, so it's not like the Americans can, like, they're not really supposed to be here. Well, they 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 all came from Guantanamo Bay, and that's why he invites sure, them. Sure, but I there's there's specific rules. I, yeah, I mean, I'm there's sure. no. Going back to the whole Cold War theme, like how this movie, the, the main villain, is essentially a product of the Cold War. Having it climax in Cuba, like the end of the movie is set there, which is basically also still in a way like a product. It's like a casualty of the Cold War. It was yeah. like this place yep. stuck in limbo for so long. It still is. So it's like, yeah. Well, at least with us. Many other countries, they're, oh, yeah. they're kind of... <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I know. It's it is weird because yeah, it's like we Americans have a base there in Guantanamo Bay, so it's like they can actually the military does operate there. But yeah, where they but are like here, mostly like just there. Yeah, they're yeah. not like supposed to be like out doing whatever Correct. they want. Yeah. So they're like that's why earlier Wade's like the U.S. has no uh, presence here. Like you know has no knowledge of anything that's going on. Um, but yeah, which but, is like an insane thing to believe. Yeah. Oh, of course. He's just <laughs> he's like, sort of saying that out of uh, precaution yeah. for you know he's going through the motions. CYA. Yeah. CYA. So it's like, um, yeah. And, and, you know, so they don't get like, this is actually, I think the only time in, in, out of the four Brazen movies where he doesn't end up really with the woman on the ground at the end as the last shot, he gets interrupted. The other three movies that mm. happens, uh, ah. he ends, ends up with the woman at the end. But, um, I mean, they do have a little time in the field, but it's not, yeah, yeah. brief. It's not quite the same. Not quite the same. If anything, like, that must have been on purpose to be like, nope, actually, we're not going to do the thing you think we're about to do. And then uh, I think this happens right before, probably. Yeah, because you had the Boris scene where he survives the collapse of everything around him. He's like, I'm Which, in again, also crazy that he survived. Yes, but that's you know, because he's like, I'm invincible. And then he gets blasted with, I guess, liquid nitrogen or some sort he, of. <laughs> yep, great. I, and then, like, you see this great payoff explosion with the cradle and then just a little cherry on top of yeah. him doing that scene. And I, so, I mean, is it too crazy to say? I think that might be the best Bond death. One of the best, yeah. Definitely. Oh, it's up there. It's yeah. definitely, like, iconic. Um, it's up there. Especially them using a, a, manic, a, a dummy version of Alan Cumming, Frozen. You know, I wonder if that. I wonder if Alan Cumming has that in his house, just like a like <laughs> him as Boris, like Frozen. <laughs> Does he bring it out at Halloween? Yeah, it's like <laughs> he just has he uses it. it to scare away crows. Yeah, <laughs> it's just in his backyard. But you know that's somewhere in some like you know storage space. Just <laughs> if it exists, I want it. Yeah, I want to buy it. Um, 
Yeah, and so that ends with them flying away to Guantanamo Bay to consummate their love, I guess. I don't know. While while Jack Wade watches, who knows? No. Um, no, Felix would. Oh yeah, Felix. <laughs> yeah, so that wraps up Goldeneye, the, you know, I think an important and great movie in our Bond series so far. I'm it's excited to continue this with the rest of the Brosnans because the next movie we're going to watch is going to be the one actually I really like a lot, a lot, a lot. And actually it was the first movie I saw in theaters, which was Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm-hmm. So. I think it was my first one in theaters as well. Yeah. So I'm I think excited. also the last good Bond video game because it was also very. It, it are, you thinking, very are you thinking the world to... is not enough though? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I think that's the one you're thinking of. The one that's yes. the other N64 game. Yes. Yeah. We, I confuse the names all the time. I don't know why. We briefly discussed this. I think there was a Tomorrow Never Dies PlayStation, PlayStation yeah. game. There. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But in terms of like similar to GoldenEye the game, I think it was The World Is Not Enough is the one you're thinking of because I played that one a lot too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for this mission. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and yeah, everybody make sure to listen to Murph's movie trivia. Is it available pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, we're on social media at Murph's movie trivia. Uh, if you follow us on social media, you'll be able to get a clue for a category for the upcoming episode and a clue for one of the answers. Uh, and it's available on almost every podcast. Um, you can always shoot me a email at Murph. Uh, Murph's Movie Trivia at Gmail. Um, and like I said, it's just a great, light, entertaining show. You got Usually they're 11 minutes long, so give it a listen. Quick bites, great, great. Awesome. And yeah, everybody else, we will see you on the next mission. <laughs>